In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear brothers and seminarians, dear faithful, when the angel Gabriel appeared to St. Joseph in order to let him know that it was okay for him to take our Blessed Mother to be his wife, the angel had this to say about our Lord. That which is begotten of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This statement of the angel Gabriel provides us some very important information about our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like a definition of our Lord. And if we don't understand this definition of our Lord given to us by heaven, then we do not understand our Lord. And if we do not understand our Lord, we cannot follow our Lord. And if we cannot follow our Lord, then we are not really Christians. We are not really followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's really extremely important that we as Catholics understand who our Lord Jesus Christ is. This is sort of the problem with the Jews in this gospel today. Our Lord says of them, I know my Father, but you don't know who He is. You say He's your God, but you don't even know who He is. We say that Jesus Christ is our God, but do we know who He is? And I would say it's all the more important for, for us as priests and, and brothers and seminarians to know who our Lord Jesus Christ is, because we are supposed to be the ones who follow Him more closely who imitate him more perfectly by leading a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Even if we haven't taken the vows, we must practice these virtues of poverty, chastity, and obedience to the highest degree possible. So the angel says that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from our sins. He is a sin fixer. He is a sin repairer. And what this means is that he has come on this earth because we have got problems. We are sick in our souls. We are wounded in our nature. Our Lord didn't come into the world because we are good. He came into the world because we are bad. He did not come to congratulate us on our greatness, but He came to give us the possibility of being great in spite of our weakness and our imperfections, in spite of our sickness, in spite of our wounds. And this is the, the very first thing that we must understand about our Lord. It is an extremely important point. Because our Lord cannot save you, He cannot be your Savior, unless you want to be saved. Just like a doctor cannot help you, He can't cure you, unless you're willing to be doctored, unless you want some remedy, unless you say, I am a sick person, I've got a disease, I'm a sinner, I'm full of weakness and misery, I'm a criminal who has betrayed his God daily in innumerable ways, and I want to be set free from this lamentable condition. And so when our Lord comes and says, I am your Savior, you will say, that's exactly what I need. I need exactly what you are offering to me. 
And really, we must take it as a sort of principle of the spiritual life that the more that the soul is conscious of his or her, or her own sinfulness, the more that the soul is, is conscious of the wickedness of the sins that he has committed and, and therefore is filled with this sentiment of compunction, to that degree will the soul be able to profit by uh, the graces given by the divine physician. We have to be, the more we are aware of, of our problems, the more we will profit by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But as important as it is for us to understand that we are sinners in order to profit from the grace of our Lord, that's really only the beginning. There's something else that we must be very clear for us in order for us to understand who our Lord is. And that something else is the way in which he pays for sin. How do you fight against sin? How do you address this problem of sin in the souls of human beings, in the souls of fallen creatures? What is the remedy to sin? And quite simply, the answer is that sin is paid through suffering. That's the only way. And so, if you have someone who's come to save you for, from your sins, he's going to be a suffering savior, necessarily. We have this word in scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And this is why St. Paul in the epistles, he's going on uh, about the shedding of blood. He's, he's comparing two types of the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, you have these animals, you, you have these goats, you have these cows who were slaughtered, you have these sheep who were slaughtered, and their blood was poured forth on the altar, and that was offered to God in payment for sin. And then in the New Testament, you've also got a shedding of blood, but this time, it's the shedding of blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself. And St. Paul is saying, well, if you compare these two types of blood that are offered in payment for sin, obviously, the blood of the God-man will have much more efficacy than the blood of the animals of the Old Testament. So why is this the way to address sin? This is often a scandal to modern people. This uh, notion that you need to satisfy ju the justice of God by the shedding of blood. Yet it's in scripture. It's almost like you have to chuck out all of Christian revelation if you get rid of that aspect of scripture. That to pay for sin, there has to be the shedding of blood. The reason is this. Sin, as we know, is a crime. And a crime is, is an offense whereby you take away something unjustly from someone else. You might take away their property by committing a robbery. You might take away their understanding by committing a sin of deceit. You lie to them. You might take away their honor by a sin of calumny or detraction. You ruin their reputation or take their reputation away from them. You might take away their physical well-being by acts of violence. You might injure them with physical wounds. And all these things are taking away from your neighbor something that belongs to him. Taking away something 
unjustly. And the fact is that when we commit a sin, we take away something from God himself, who is the supreme being. It's not that we take away something from God himself on his inside, but we take away something from his outside, something that is owed to him and is taken away from him, something that he deserved, and we said, no, we are not going to give him that thing that he has deserved. We take away God's honor. We take away from the beauty of the creation that he has made. We even taken away something from, from ourselves that he has made us to be. He, we we take, take away from what he has intended us to be. And that is a dishonor to God. You don't own yourselves in such a way that you can decide to do with yourself whatever you want. You must give honor to God with the being that he's given you. And you take away honor from God when you don't do that. So, in order to satisfy justice when you perform a crime, you have to give something back in order to compensate for what you've taken away. This is a question of satisfy, satisfying justice. You take something away, you've got to give something back. Um, this is the way all legal systems work. Yeah, I mean, if you commit a crime and you go to court today, then you, and you, you are judged to be guilty, then the court will ask you to do something to compensate for your crime. You, you're going to have to do one of three things. You're going to have to either pay money to, to compensate for the crime, you're going to have to pay time, or you're going to have to pay with your life. One of those three things is going to have to happen for you to satisfy justice. That's, that's the decision that's going to be passed on you. Now, of all the things that you could pay, which of these is the most precious? It's certainly not your money or your property. People will probably be very willing to get off with just paying some money. It's certainly not your time. Time is probably more precious. But more precious still than your money or your time is your own life. Your own life and the blood that keeps your life going. If the crime is very great, then money and time are not going to be sufficient to pay for the crime. You need a greater payment if you want to satisfy justice. And really, there is no greater crime than sin itself. Sin, we must realize, is the great evil in this life. There's nothing more heinous that can be done than offending the good God. It has something of infinity about it. It's an infinite offense. And this is why, in the end, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Sin is the greatest crime possible. It takes away something from God. And so you have to give the greatest payment in compensation for that. And the greatest payment possible that we know of in the created order is lifeblood the shedding of one's own blood. And so this is the second thing that we have to understand about our Lord Jesus Christ, about our Savior. He has come to save us from our sins, but there's no remission of sins without suffering. And therefore, He is a suffering Savior. It's intimately tied with the very identity of our Lord Jesus Christ with the reality of him taking flesh, that he's destined to shed his blood in order to fulfill this role of healing the human race, of fixing 
our problems. And just as, as with the first aspect of our Lord, the fact that He's our Savior, there, there's an obligation. There's an obligation on our part, and that is that we must want to be saved. We must acknowledge our own weakness, our own sickness, and, and we must desire to be saved by Him. So also with this second aspect of our Lord's incarnation, the fact that He has to suffer, there's, there's an obligation on our part as well. And this is the obligation that we have to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ. If He is our Savior and He suffers for us, then obviously we must want to be like Him by embracing the sufferings of our life. And this is where it gets very difficult for us as Catholics because this is the last thing, according to our nature, that we want to do. We have a very difficult time accepting suffering in this life. Even though the church, every year, she puts before us this environment, this atmosphere, in which we contemplate the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, He did this for us. He died for my sins. He shed His blood for my sins. Now what am I going to do for Him? So, if we are not willing to suffer, it's because really we do not understand who our Lord Jesus Christ is and what it means to follow Him. He would be able to say to us, as He said to the Jews, you do not know me. You do not understand who I am. As I say, it can be amazing how many years we can pass as Catholics and we still don't understand suffering. We still don't understand the cross. We still do not understand the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Everything in our Catholic life is meant to be a struggle against sin for the glory of God. We as Catholics believe that God wants us to participate in the work of our own redemption and our own salvation. As opposed to the Protestants. The Protestants believe that our Lord Jesus Christ does absolutely everything. And all your job is, is to simply contemplate what He has done and accept that. In other words, they only do the first part that I'm mentioning. The first duty they are willing to do. They are willing to recognize that they need a Savior, that they're injured, they're wounded, they're sinful, and so on. And so they want to be saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. But the second part, wherein they see our Lord suffering, and that imposes the obligation to follow Him in the suffering, in order to participate in their own redemption, they reject this. They say that takes away from the role of our Lord. But this is not the case. The struggle that took place in the life of our Lord against sin, a struggle to the death, a struggle that involved the sweating of His blood, and the shedding of every last drop of His blood, that is the same struggle that is meant to go on in our own lives. This is the very struggle that takes place at the Mass. It's the victory over sin through the cross, through suffering. Why, then, are we unwilling to suffer? Why do we so run away from the things that cause us annoyance, the things that cause us inconvenience in this life? Why do we not seize these opportunities that are provided us by divine providence? I'm not saying you take on suffering on yourself. That's presumptuous. 
But every single one of us has suffering, has trials, has stress in this life. Each one of these events planned by providence uh, is an opportunity for us to unite ourselves with the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ and participate in our own redemption and in the salvation of the souls entrusted to us. When our Lord suffered so much for our sakes, why can we not suffer also for him? And this reality of our Lord, who our Lord is, has, as I've said, the most consequences for we who are priests, or for the seminarians who are striving to be priests, or for the brothers who are on the path of perfection. They're in the state of perfection, meaning that they are meant to imitate our Lord more than anyone else. But we know that priests are other Christs, and Christ is a savior from sin. He's a suffering savior. And as a result, if, if I'm another Christ, if these seminarians are meant to be other Christ, then they must be willing to be victims with Christ. This is what you're signing up for, dear seminarians. You're signing up for a life where you are meant to model the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must already begin to develop this supernatural ability to suffer for the love of God, for the love of souls. And if we do not develop this ability, if we do not, over time, try to strive against our lower nature and cooperate with the grace that is given us at each moment in order to accept these sufferings, these trials, these difficulties, these annoyances, these fears that we might have in our life, then we are not able to uh, take on the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear seminarians, dear brothers, dear faithful, let us, on this Passion Sunday, try to understand more deeply who our Lord Jesus Christ is. First of all, that he is our Savior. And then, secondly, that he came to save us from sin, and so he came to suffer for us. We must think about this in our minds. We must grasp this truth as deeply as we can by meditating upon it. But then, after we've understood who our Lord is, then we must desire with our will. We must desire to be like Him. We must desire to imitate Him. How incredible it would be if for the rest of your life, whenever you experience sufferings, you accepted them in the same spirit in which our Lord accepted the sufferings of the cross. This is a very incredible grace that... Um, I think it would be very good for us to ask for this grace to suffer in the same spirit as the suffering of our Lord. But for that grace, of course, we must go to our, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. If anyone understood our Lord Jesus Christ, it was certainly Our Lady. She understood at the very moment that that same angel Gabriel came to her um, uh, on the, the, the time of the Annunciation. And in announcing to her that she was to be the mother of God, and she was told that the name of her son was to be Jesus, that his name was to be the Savior, she understood what was going to be involved in her role. She understood that she was going to have to be like her son who was taken from her. She was going to be, have to be like her son more than any other creature. And so she would have to be a sorrowful mother. But 
we know her response. She totally embraced this role that was given to her by God. She said, be it done unto me according to thy word. And this is what we must try to do. We must say with all of the things that, that might come to us in our duty of state as, as mothers and, and, and fathers, as, as children in, in the family, and especially as, as priests or seminarians and brothers, we, we must say, be it done unto me, whatever sufferings you want me to suffer, I accept them in the spirit of our suffering Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.